Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is New Rust Station, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is part two of an interview with Sean Griffin on the development and release of Diesel 1.0. So where do you see Diesel going now that you've hit 1.0? Well, to 1.1, of course. <laughs> now going to skip to 1.99? <laughs> No, so so for those who aren't familiar, familiar, uh, we released a version that was zero point nine nine, and I did this because uh, I didn't want to have deprecated code in one which is reasonable. Yeah, so I wanted to have a uh, a version that was uh, basically around like zero point ten. I think I started making an effort to deprecate things rather than just straight up breaking mm-hmm. them whenever I could. Uh, we still made breaking changes without deprecation when it was necessary, but we started to make a serious effort to deprecate things rather than just flat out removing them. I think I decided to do that because the first time I thought about doing it, it was literally just I renamed a module, which is the easiest thing in the world to, to uh, deprecate. But anyway, so I, so I, I didn't want to um, have any deprecated code in 1.0. So we figured, all right, we're going to do a release because there was especially 0.99 also ended up deprecating a lot of stuff like the insert function <laughs> and our entire upsert API. Just some little things. Just some little things. But so I figured I would uh, have a release that would be identical to 1.0, except 1.0 wouldn't have any deprecated code. And so I called it 0.99. And then I'll, I'll, and then the, there was also the intention of supporting 0.99 as a release, un- basically until people stopped using it. Because uh, we still haven't figured out what our LTS strategy is going to be. But um, 0.99 can be considered our first LTS mm-hmm. release, whatever that means. Now, I kind of messed up <laughs> because I released it and then realized, oh, crap, I want to make one more breaking change. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make a breaking change in 0.99.1. Technically, I could. It's, you know, Semver doesn't apply to 0.x releases. But conventionally, people expect that 0.x means that X, you know, your minor is your major and your teeny is depending on the person, they'll either still expect it to be teeny or, or expect it to be your miney, or minor. Uh, anyway, but so so I'm like, do I release 0.999? <laughs> so that was why we released beta one when we did. Beta one beta, beta one included that one breaking change uh, and was just one of those like, okay, so maybe it's not quite, maybe 0.99 is not quite exactly identical <laughs> to, to 1.0, but this is also a breaking change where it was, it was like, it was a Sember... It was a breaking change from a Sember point of view. And, and don't get me wrong, there is code out there that, that, that at least my, I had code out there that broke because right. of it. But the ma- vast majority of users were not going to break from this. This was like reorganizing a bunch of traits. And um, most of the time, you don't know or care about those traits by name. You only care about the methods on them. And the methods on them were still available on all the same types. And a different trait exported methods with the same names. And that trait was still exported from everywhere. So as long as you were never referencing any of these traits by name, which is the vast majority of code using Diesel, mm-hmm. uh, they would have never. Nobody would have noticed uh, that this that this change happened. But uh, it was still it was still a concerning enough breaking change that that was a. Uh... Anyway, that was way too long winded. But just you mentioned zero dot nine nine. I figure it'd be worth giving some context as to why we had a version that was zero dot nine nine. I will also link listeners to the relevant episodes of the Bike Shed, where Derek Pryor, Sean's co-host, said, "Are you sure you want to do that?" And Sean said, "Yeah, it'll be fine." And then the next episode, where Sean said, "Well, maybe less fine," along the lines he just traced out, because they were hilarious. I mean, hey, at least it happened. At least I decided I wanted to make this change 
before 1.0. It's true. So that you didn't have to turn around and really say 2.0 a month later. Yeah, we're not like I've, there are things that uh, like I, I messed up. I realized I forgot to add composite uh, foreign key support to our associations API. And the way that the trait that our that our associations are built around is structured makes it impossible for us to have a composite foreign key. And somebody opened an, an issue on it. And I'm like, crap. Yeah. I missed that. Sorry, <laughs> but we're also just there's no way for me to do, fix this without a, without a Semver breaking change. And we're not considering anything that requires a 2.0 right now. So just, yeah. Luckily, composite foreign keys are not super common, but still joins joins could work with composite foreign keys. The, our code that generates mm. join. Uh, so we have a, a, a macro that you do called joinable. When you uh, join between two tables in diesel, there's two ways to do it. Uh, you can either ahead of time specify here is how you join between these two tables because there's a foreign key relationship and i always join between these two tables the same mm-hmm. way and the macro that you use to do that doesn't support composite foreign keys but the trait that it implements for you totally does mm. so that like we can add support for backwards compatibly and then the other way you can do a join in diesel is just you explicitly specify the on clause so you do inner join foo dot uh foo table dot on you know whatever um, but the, the thing that the thing that, that can't support foreign keys is we have a we have two methods that are specific to our associations API. The first is called belonging to. So you could do like post colon colon belonging to user, and that can either take a reference to a user object or a reference to a uh, vector of users. Uh, and then depending on what you pass it, it'll generate a query that's either uh, you know select star from post where user ID equals question mark or where user ID in all of the various IDs. So we have a we have for that to work we have a trait called belongs to and that has a method that has uh, an associated type called foreign key and a function that takes reference to self and returns a reference to self foreign key and that signature right there is why composite foreign keys can't be supported because you don't st- store your composite foreign key as a, a a tuple on your struct you store it as two fields and we can't return a reference to a tuple if the reference isn't stuck somewhere else right so the way this works for primary keys is we never have things that take self by reference and return reference to thing you know some associated type we always take self by value and then implement the trait on a reference and that's what i should have done for this trait and i just forgot and now the 1.0 and now the 1.0 so so what did 1.0 mean for diesel besides some degree of stability and semver backwards compatibility rules and everything else i mean that's it like there are tons of features that we need badly that I want to implement that uh, I have deprioritized <laughs> because number one, there was nobody banging on my door for them right that <laughs> right. moment. Uh, and number two, actually, even now, there you know, we used to be at a point where just my feature, li- my feature priority list was things people had asked me for. And then it got to a point where I was reasonably confident that everything that I was going to implement anytime soon that would require breaking changes has been done at which point i came up with the list of either things that were this is a breaking change we need to do this before mm-hmm. 1.0 or things that were this is such a huge win that we should do this before the massive influx of users we're going to get because of 1.0 uh, ironically none of the things in that latter category ended up <laughs> happening all of them got bumped 1.1 here we go some of them not even 1.1. 1.1, I know very specifically what I want to do. Uh, and it's been killing me not being able to work on it. <laughs> so I, I declared the feature freeze number mostly for myself mm-hmm. so that I would focus on docs. Uh, but then also because I really, really was hoping to get more outside contributors joining in and helping with documentation. Mm. 
And so I figured by making it the only way you can contribute to diesel right now is by writing docs. Did it work? No, it didn't work at all. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> didn't get like, I think we got uh, three or four doc pull requests from people who weren't on the yeah. computer team. And even those were very small. I mean, even aside from just like the the carrot stick thing, uh, I mean, it was also right. Pull requests take time to review. Anytime that I spend reviewing a pull request is time I could have spent writing docs. Because diesel, like, yeah, diesel 1.0 is not notably different than 0.99. You know, there's 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 some change log entries. Mm -hmm. They they exist. Most of them are just things that you that you're not going to care about. Like I made some minor improvements to a derive that 0.99 added uh, some breaking changes that, again, nobody's going to notice, like the the trait reordering Mm -hmm. or like it's funny, all of these breaking changes I made, I realized needed to happen because I was writing docs. Mm-hmm. Um, the trait reorganization was just because, holy crap, this is hard to document. <laughs> if all of these methods lived on one trait, that would be so much easier to document. I'm just going to make one trait that has uh, that has each of these, because all of these um, uh, traits were things like, uh, they had names like uh, select DSL. And so select DSL was uh, generic over the argument to the function select. And then had an associated type called output and a single uh, method on it called select. Mm-hmm. And then there was an order DSL and a filter DSL and a limit DSL and so on and so forth. Because that's that's how you have to right. do this in Rust. At least if you don't want to box things, which I didn't. Because I needed to have an associated type for the return value of each of these. And um, this could all live on one trait uh, once generic associated mm-hmm. types happen. But even then, it, it makes sense for them to be separate traits. Anyway, so so I created a new trait called query DSL. Which has all of these methods, and they all are implemented the same way. And anyway, the implementation is actually not important, but um, but it was way easier to document. So that was an, uh, one of them. And then another one uh, was I was writing a. I got I had a I had a day where I was kind of getting depressed at how much I had not been able to write code <laughs> for Diesel. So I decided I was just gonna write. Um, I, I I was gonna write something and stick it in the examples directory. <laughs> and norm most right now everything in the examples directory is tied to a guide. Uh, is either like the guide walks you through implementing this application mm-hmm. or literally the guide is like uh, we have two guides now that are here's this code here's the SQL it outputs and so the the quote-unquote example is just you know the code from the guide just stuck in a function that, and not not ever being called but just there to make sure it compiles and then a test that that has the same code and then asserts that the SQL is equal to what the guide says. <laughs> but we don't have, we didn't have, a, anyway, but I just really wanted to write some code. So I sat down one day, I'm like, I'm just going to write an application and I'm going to stick it in the examples directory. And I'll probably link to some code in this app in one of these guides in the future. But so I wrote a, uh, the getting started guide. I didn't want to use a web framework mm-hmm. for the getting started guide. I, it was going to be, I always knew I wanted to be a blog because blogs are like a thing that conceptually people understand. There's posts, there's comments, there's users. Right. Even if there's not all three of those things, like there are posts and people generally understand, yes, and there's going to be a title and a body mm-hmm. and a published at field. Um, but I didn't want to use a web framework for the getting started guide because I wanted it to be about here's how you use diesel and not get d- tied down with here's the boilerplate for for you know uh whatever web framework right uh or i didn't even want to use like clap or any of the existing cli frameworks because i don't want to get into like and here's how you make a decent cli <laughs> so so the gangstar guide it was a cli but rather than it being a single executable we have different binaries for each of the things that you would do and they don't have help output or or argument parsing or anything like that anyway but i, I thought it was hysterical though the idea of like i'm writing a cli blog <laughs> So for this exact advanced example, I decided I'm going to double down. I was so amused by the notion of making a CLI vlog. I doubled down on it. So this is the advanced CLI <laughs> vlog, but it has like 
actual argument parsing. It's a single executable. It's multi-tenanted as authentication logic because, you know, that's totally a thing that is useful when your application requires a direct database <laughs> connection on the client side. Uh, but as authentication logic, commenting, it actually opens your editor uh, rather than just reading from standard in. It's I gotta say, it's the slickest CLI blog <laughs> I've ever seen. I was gonna seen. say, it sounds... Oh, it's paginated too. And this was just like, I wanted to write some code. <laughs> and so documentation in the form of an example, a crazy example. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so all this to say, because this was this is this is about why I had to make a breaking change to diesel. I noticed I, so we have two functions that you use when you're testing diesel applications. One is called test transaction, and uh, test transaction works exactly like tra- the transaction function on connection, except the transaction function on connection it takes a, a, a closure and it runs it. And then if the closure returned okay, it commits the transaction. If the closure returned an error, it rolls back the transaction. And test transaction, if your function returns okay, rolls back the transaction. And if your function returns an error, it panics, mm. which is what you want in tests. You never want your transactions to commit in tests. And the way you fail a test in Rust is by right. panicking. And then the other one is called begin test transaction, which literally just executes the SQL begin. Uh, and then, uh, well, actually, it doesn't just do that. It does a check to make sure that we're not already inside of a transaction. And if we are inside of a transaction, it panics. Uh, but basically, this is for the cases where, like, it's not, I don't have a lexical scope that is convenient to mm. use here. Like, I just want to have a function in my test that returns a connection. I don't want to have to remember to call a test transaction in each of my, uh, in each of my tests. So, um, uh, so you can call this instead and it just call, it just executes SQL begin and never commits the transaction. And I almost always have used begin test transaction, but there was something I was doing in, in this example where it was more convenient to use test transaction instead. And I was test driving this app, so I wrote my test, and then uh, and the test failed. And I noticed that uh, I think I had my schema. I had forgotten to run a migration or something. Something that resulted in a database error, which is ve- is very rare mm-hmm. in diesel. But I noticed that when I did that, the only output I got was uh, transaction did not commit successfully or something like that. It was just some message that was just like this failed, and it doesn't say why. So I started looking at the code. I'm like, do we not do we not show the user's error? And so I'm looking at their code. No, we don't. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's dumb. We should do that. So I was starting to do it. And I'm like, oh, oh, we don't require that the error implements debug. So we can't actually do that. Yeah. So in uh, in in 1.0.0 RC1, there was a breaking change <laughs> to connection test transaction where now the error type requires debug. I didn't even I didn't even put in the code that displays the error, but that was just like, oh, we need to make this breaking change so we can do this feature in <laughs> 1.1. But that's, I think, a great example of uh, a place where that would be a Semver major breaking change that nobody's yeah. going to care about. Semver. It's good. Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> no, it's good. Like, I, I totally agree with all the arguments people have of like, but it doesn't let me reflect that this error isn't going to break the mass majority of my users. It maybe breaks one person somewhere. And their argument isn't wrong. It just isn't the point of Semver. Right. Semver isn't for humans. It's for computers. It's, can you know that this won't break as best as you can? Right. I still would love to see Cargo get what Elm package has where it says, oh yeah, your public API changed in these ways. That's a minor version change. Thank you. Or that's a breaking change. You need a new version. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. uh, As long as there's a way to override it. I don't like tying uh, tools like that to actual actual enforcement mm. because um, the definition of what is considered public API mm-hmm. varies between crates. Uh, Diesel's definition is things that are documented. Yeah, you definitely have to have an agreed upon standard for that to be 
tool level enforceable. In in Elm, I think it's just if you have a public like an exported function signature that changes or an exported type signature that changes, it's bumped in the appropriate way. But that's like something they can do because the ecosystem all says, yes, that's what we mean by Semver. And right. if your ecosystem doesn't say that's what we mean by Semver. Right. Because Diesel has plenty of things that are exported publicly, but are marked doc hidden. And they need to be exported publicly because we need to reference them from code we generate for you in macros. Hmm. Uh, and that's just something that uh, I, I I don't think Macros 2.0 proposed changing this, but boy, it would be amazing if Macros 2.0 proposed changing this, where um, privacy followed the same hygiene rules as Macros. Or not even the same hygiene rules, but um, well, I guess sort of follow the same hygiene rules. Basically, like code that comes from a macro in your crate can reference private things from that right. crate. But then like if you have if you take a tie fragment or an expert fragment, those follow the privacy rules of wherever they originated. Yeah, it seems like tracking that privacy would be hard, but it would be awesome. I mean, it would it's not really any different than tracking hygiene. I guess that's true. Because you've got the scope from which it's called. So you already know all of that. Yeah. Well, if it doesn't include it, someone should write a PR to the PR to make macros 2.0 that much more awesome. I mean, I don't know that it's actually worth doing since you can just as easily you know do what you're doing and export it export the thing and make it doc right. hidden because like that is basically just as good and doesn't require a lot of work <laughs> in the compiler details details i mean i'm a big fan of uh 80 20 solutions and open source yeah there's a blog post i'll link to by i think his name's thomas patricek in the f-sharp community talking about basically in 80 15 5 80 percent it works. 15%, it works with some some work on your part. Five, you can implement that. And I think that's a helpful, rough guide because there's always more work you can do. So I'm a fan. Yeah. I think it's also in API design, you know, a lot of people like Rails has a policy that I don't agree with of like, we go, we always go the extra mile to make sure that we pick the absolute most pleasant API for our users. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of taking the second most pleasant API for your users. Because the second most pleasant is almost always like fine and just as good and not noticeably different. But the difference uh, in the complexity of implementation Mm -hmm. is huge. And before anybody says, well, that's just because I'm a maintainer and I'm lazy. <laughs> thing is, maintainers aren't magic. Right. And just like an application code, the more complex the implementation, the more likely it is to have bugs. And people like having software without bugs. For some reason. For some reason. Like the idea that that it, that if we just, you know, if maintainers just do more work, we're going to avoid bugs uh, more than than application code does is, is, is rather nonsense. Yeah. If someone had magic sauce that did that, they'd be billionaires. Right. It's not how software works, people. Anything else you want to cover about diesel and diesel 1.0 and 1.1 and 1.2 and 1.n into the future before we wrap up here? Well, yes. I mean, 1.0 is out. Um, It doesn't have any change. Like if you've already migrated to 0.99, which came out a month ago, your code's going to work on 1.0 with the very rare exception of people who are referencing like execute DSL or load DSL by name. Uh, 1.1 will probably be in the next month. We haven't figured out an LTS or an actual release cycle yet, but 1.1 is going to be pretty fast. We're going to focus on making um, custom types easier to, to, to implement. There's a bunch of code in Diesel, or when you're using Diesel and you want, if you have like your own custom enum, whether it's a whether it's a database enum or whether you're mapping to an integer, uh, if you want to have that map to your own custom enum in Rust, 
you have to implement a bunch of traits. And ideally, what I would like to have happen is you have to implement to SQL and from SQL. And then everything else is handled with blanket implementations. But the problem is those blanket implementations, if if I wrote those blanket implementations, uh, would not be coherent. And so I've been holding out for changes in Rust, either related to coherence. Specialization with the the lattice rule would probably do it for most of these. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes for Rust stations who have not gotten that far into the weeds yet. They're important weeds. Yeah. To put it another way, a thing a thing that is not stable and a very simple version, which doesn't do what we need, will probably be stable in the next few mm-hmm. months, but with a proposed extension to it that is definitely not going to be stable, that the people responsible for both both proposing the original feature and the extension to it have written many blog posts <laughs> about why it's not a good idea. <laughs> anyway, I've been holding out for changes in the language for so long, and I've kind of had my head stuck in the sand on it because I'm just like, yeah, this should be a blanket impl, but it can't without changes in the language. You know, maybe one day this will be easier. And then sometime in like October, November, I was just looking at this and I realized, I mean, I could just do this as a derive. That's what I originally expected you to say, actually. So it just never occurred to me because it shouldn't need to be because I, I like... All it's doing is writing something that should be a blanket impl. So like one of the traits is called from SQL row. From SQL says this is a single value that gets uh, that 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 gets serialized to the database and sent as a single thing from SQL's deserialization. So it's a single value. And it's deserializing a single a single thing from the database. Uh, and, this, you know, it's going to be a column or, or one field in your select, but it's a, a specific single thing. So very importantly, tuples don't implement from SQL. So the next step up, you have from SQL row which works exactly like from SQL, but instead of taking the the raw representation of a single value, it takes a row. And this is a thing that might be, uh, that might deserialize zero or, uh, or more values. Uh, and so tuples have to implement this. And then also everything that implements from SQL also has to implement this. And then above that, we have queryable. Uh, and this is the, the trait that you actually re- reference in your application, uh, or or if you don't reference it directly, the methods that you call reference it, where it, uh, and queryable actually doesn't necessarily have a reason to exist. Like, it's completely redundant functionality-wise with from SQL row, but it's separate in that you don't, you know, it doesn't take a row at all. Well, it does take a, a thing called row. Basically, you say, here's here's this type. I would like this type, please. And then you have a function called build, and you just map from that type to your struct. And I kept this as a separate trait because uh, this is a trait that is much, much easier to implement by hand. Because mm. it's basically just uh, th- this type that you say that I would like, which you call the row type, is just going to be a tuple. And so that's just literally like taking each each thing from the tuple and sticking it in the named field in your struct. And so and everything that implements from SQL row needs to implement queryable, at least to be usable outside of an implementation of queryable. Uh, and so ideally, right, I should just have impl from SQL row for T, where T implements from SQL. And then I should be able to have impl queryable for T where T is from SQL row. But uh, but the the queryable one, I think, overlaps with tuples because I don't remember why. Uh, I think it overlaps with tuples, though. I don't actually remember where queryable overlaps. It overlaps somewhere. The the tuple one, like there's actual legit reasons in the language for from SQL row. So basically, if I write if I were to try to write impl from SQL, uh, from SQL row for T where T implements from SQL, that's going to conflict with my impl, my explicit impl that I write for tuples. Because even though I know that tuples <laughs> never implement from SQL, a tuple is not a type that is local to my crate. And so there's nothing to stop you from writing impl uh, from SQL for tuple of local type, local, local type. Uh, and so because of that, uh, I can't have that blanket impl exist. 
Anyway, all of this is like, I've, I, I, I just never thought that bad because it was like, yeah, this should be a blanket impl. I know the blanket impl I want to write, but I can't write it because of the language. Maybe one day I'll be able to write it. And uh, But yeah, anyway, finally it just occurred to me, like I could just have derived from SQL row. And you shouldn't have to write that, but that is fine. Right. It does solve the problem. That's There's your 80-20 solution. And I don't know why it took me two <laughs> years to think of that. Anyway, so basically 1.1 is going to come out real fast. <laughs> and it's going to have this this feature that I've been dying to write because it's going to make um, this 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 code so much easier. And the other reason that I thought about it was diesel, our, the way we do custom drives completely changed in 0.99. And now diesel does directly depend on our derives mm. crate, which means that I can use these derives in diesel itself. And that didn't happen before dot 99? No, because um, that crate also included the code for inverse schema. Uh, yep. And inverse schema requires diesel. So diesel couldn't depend on a crate that depends on diesel. Unless the version of diesel it depends on doesn't match up, which is how our tests worked for a very long time. Our diesel would, would depend on the previous version of diesel code genning tests. Bootstrapping. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's going to be 1.1. 1.1 is going to come out real fast. We don't have a roadmap for 1.2 yet. So if there are things missing from diesel that you need for your application, if you're using SQL or SQL mm-hmm. query, I want to hear about it. Come into our Gitter room. Tell me about it. Open an issue even. But uh, I don't have a roadmap for 1.2 yet. So whatever you're missing that Diesel uh, just hasn't implemented yet, that isn't group by. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of several breaking changes, group by is one of the features that just, mm. I know it's going to require breaking changes to make group by work. And so group by is going to be Diesel, group by is going to be Diesel 2.0, but group by is not coming anytime soon. <laughs> anyway, come come let us know what you want, what what you are missing for 0.2. I'm trying to think of, of like things that have commonly come up. Async IO is is not happening until Tokyo stabilizes a bit more. That makes sense. Actually, I, ha- I have a working implementation that I almost shipped, and I'm glad I didn't. It's really hacky and slightly like it. Its implementation worries me enough that I had to pull both uh, Alex and um, <laughs> I had somebody else look at. It. I remember who. Anyway, I had people who were responsible for Tokyo <laughs> Futures look at this, and and like I tried to explain to them, here's what I'm doing. It seems dangerous, and they they said it doesn't look like it's gonna break to them but i'm still i was still worried about it. anyway yeah uh, but we're waiting for tokyo to stabilize so async io it'll happen eventually at least for postgres because switching to async io at least with tokyo requires switching from the c libraries we depend on to the actual wire protocol uh of that of, of those uh backends mm-hmm. and i know the postgres wire protocol i do not know the mysql wire protocol I've tried to learn it because so I knew I know I'm going to need to to write the async adapter. It's not documented. Oh, like there, I mean, it's it, there are docs there. They just aren't helpful. So I don't know when MySQL async will come. But yeah, I don't know. That's about it. That's that's what's happening with Diesel. If you haven't tried Diesel, come try Diesel. It's a pretty good set of stuff that's happening. So yeah, it's an active project. Oh, the other thing. Sorry, this is nothing that because this will this would be a whole another discussion. But the other thing that happened since the last time I was on. Was that Crates.io now uses Diesel? Oh yes, and I know you've talked about that on a number of Bike Shed episodes, so I will link those for listeners. I don't remember which ones they are, so I can't just name them off here, but they will be in the show notes for this episode. I, I hope you don't expect me to be able to figure out which episodes. Come on, off the top of your head, man, you should just have them memorized. <laughs> Probably things that I mean, there are a lot of things that link to portions of the Crates.io source code in yes. our show notes now. <laughs> 
and if you if listeners want to hear Sean sometimes talk about diesel and sometimes talk about speeding up Ruby things with Rust and sometimes just talk about Ruby things and sometimes talk about totally sometimes talk other about Star things. Wars. I was going to say, is the latest bike shit have your Star Wars thoughts on it? Because I've been looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, we recorded it the week after Star Wars came out, so... But yes, we do have we do have our our section where we spoil all of Star Wars at the end in an upcoming episode. Excellent. Well, I will look forward to it. And listeners, if you want to hear me ramble about Star Wars, you can hear that in my other podcast, which will also get linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Sean. It's good to catch up and good to hear how Diesel is going. And hopefully, if anybody has all of those feature requests, they can hammer you with them. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for having me on. It was great. It was great being back. So that was fun. If you haven't checked out Diesel, I encourage you to do so. I probably will not end up dedicating an actual Crates You Should Know episode to it, as we've covered a lot on Diesel already. But it's a great crate, and it's worth your time if you have need for an ORM. This month's $10 or more sponsors were Aaron Turan, Alexander Payne, Anthony Deschamps, Chris Palmer, Benam Estabode, Dan Abrams, Daniel Collin, David W. Allen, Guido Herman. Hans Fjallemark, Hendrik Solik, John Rudnick, Matt Rudder, Nathan Scully, Nick Stevens, Peter Tillemans, Olaf Leidinger, Olushei Sonaya, Rafe Levine, Shane Utt, and Vesekaila Virta. Thanks, as always, to everyone who sponsors the show. If you're enjoying the show, please let others know about it. Best way, of course, is just to tell somebody in person who's interested in Rust. I also love it when people share on social media or rate and review it in whatever podcast directory you use. And of course, if you're feeling extra generous, you can always send some financial support for the show my way. Recurring contributions at patreon.com slash neurostation, or you can send one-offs via any of a number of services I've listed on the show website. There, at newrustation.com, you can also find scripts and code samples for most teaching episodes, as well as transcripts for many of the interviews. I hope at some point to have a transcript for this interview up. And of course, there are full show notes for every episode. The show is on Twitter, at newrustation, and you can follow me there, at Chris Kreitcho. Do tweet at me. Hit me with news, hit me with topic ideas, you name it. Though, I'll give you a heads up, I already have episodes planned out through October this year. I am on the ball. You can also respond to the episodes in the threads on the Rust user forums, on Reddit, on Hacker News, or, and really, I say this all the time, but it's true. My favorite is just getting email from you. Say hello at hello at newruststation.com. Until next time, happy coding.